Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship together today as the body of Christ, let me invite you as you find your seat, let's find our Bibles. Let's open our Bible and turn in our Bible to Mark chapter 11. We are back in the Gospel of Mark. We uh, were in Mark 10 two Sundays ago looking at blind Bartimaeus as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Here in Mark 11, we're going to see Jesus in Jerusalem as he has now made his way there. And so what we're going to have to process is understanding a few different events Jesus heals a blind man on the side of the road named Bartimaeus. After he heals him, he's making his way into Jerusalem for Holy Week, or the week of passion, the week where he will become the crucified Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sin in our place. Jesus died for you. And as he gets there, we read in chapter 11, the beginning, we all know this is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. And what it looks like, it looks like the coronation of a king. And they're throwing down their cloaks, they're throwing down palm branches. They are paving the way for the King of kings and Lord of lords to come through. But it's a false coronation of the one true king. Why is it a false coronation? Well, because here they are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just a few days later, they're yelling out something very different. Crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. It's an interesting play that we see, interesting events that unfold. And as we come to the week of the end, we know that this is not the end. Jesus is just getting started, right? At the end of this week, there's going to be a great resurrection. And as Jesus comes in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, he rides in as Lord, but he also rides in as Lamb, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the whole world. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he comes onto a scene. He goes to church. He shows up at the temple. And as he shows up at the temple, he finds God's house filled with anything but worship. It's filled with sin. And he comes back here on this day that we're going to read about. He's going to come back on a Tuesday of that week. And as he comes back on Tuesday, he doesn't come back as the king of Israel to attack Rome. He comes back on, on Tuesday as the Lamb of God who's going to come as a king of righteousness. And he's going to attack the church. All right, attack the false worship, attack the sin, attack the, 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 just the plagiarism that is happening right here in the text of God's own house. And so we're going to see that come alive today. If you will with me, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to start in verse 12 and look at an interesting story. Maybe something you've not read before, maybe something you've never understood before. I pray today that the word will give you eyes and ears to hear and see. It says, on the following day when they came from Bethany... He was hungry. So we're on Monday. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, or a fig tree in bloom, you would expect a fruit tree to have fruit on it. He went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. It's the only instance that we have of Jesus with a negative miracle, if you will where he produces a curse upon his creation, and his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, verse 15, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned, he flipped the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Interesting detail, why in the world would we mention pigeons? Well, 
in the context of the temple, in the context of the sacrifice, if you could not afford a lamb, if you could not afford some of the sacrifices that God demanded, he would make arrangements. God would allow provision for you to sacrifice something like a pigeon, something like a dove, something small, something that you were able to do. And so what we're seeing here truly, this is exposure of the poor. Are they taking advantage of those who cannot afford the, the, the better sacrifice? So they're attacking those and taking advantage of those who could not afford the best. And he would not allow anyone, in verse 16, to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house, according to Isaiah 56, 7, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you, you have made it a den of robbers. Hence the context, we're taking advantage of all these people. And the chief priests and the scribes, the leaders of the church, they heard it. They were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And, <coughs> excuse me. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, not just on the limbs, not just the fruit, but all the way down to its core. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to use it here today. Father, we come before you. We ask you to speak, Lord Jesus, for your servant is listening. We ask you to teach, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the things that we don't know. Give to us the things that we don't have. Make us, God, who we are not. We ask your power to come through your text today, and God, may we be transformed by your truth. Lord, we submit and we surrender to your authority. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And God's church says today, amen. Amen. As you find your seat, let me encourage you, let's keep the word of God open before you. Also grab the backside of the worship guide. We're going to plug in some things as we walk together through the Word of God. And let me just make two quick announcements. Number one, how happy and excited we are for all of our graduates. A big congratulations to them. Thank you very, very much. And number two, as Mr. Robert delivers me a bottle of water, I'll go ahead and just make an apology. I have a very weak voice, but we have an incredibly strong word. Amen. I've had seven weeks of just Arkansas, all right? Seven weeks of whatever this is, and I've gone through it, and, and so if I stumble, if I, if I stutter, hey, I, I'm not trying to, and so I, I hope it's pleasant to listen to. I apologize, but again, the Word is powerful, and it overcomes my weakness, and so y'all just bear with me, all right? Bear with me as I, as I, as I question my whole entire life, right? Here I am. What am I doing? It was interesting, and this is just a little free therapy for me. Driving back from spring break, I lost my voice. And I was like, Lord, what would I do if I didn't have a voice? You know, I wouldn't be able to preach. What would I do with my whole life? And then for the last seven weeks, I guess God's been teaching me what he can do with me, even when we're weak, right? And so I want to encourage you guys. I don't know what you're walking through or what you're pondering in your life, but God is able to overcome all things. All right, that's a free sermon. That's not for today. All right, here we go. What we're going to see, guys, is an incredibly important part of our text And it's important for us to see this because we have a story like of a tree and a temple. And what in the world's going on? Why did the tree get cursed? Why does the temple get cleansed? How are the things connected? And we're going to see very importantly that they have to be connected. It's all part of the judgment that Jesus comes to bring upon those who are guilty of false professions of faith and guilty of playing church. 
That's kind of a theme that we've seen a lot before in Mark. We saw in Hebrews even some, and it just keeps kind of coming back up. And so there's going to be an incredibly important call for us to truly respond to the gospel, respond to the text today in spirit and in truth. And so I want you to see two things as we plug these things in. Here's the very first one as we think about this tree. We see the caution of the curse. All right, we see the caution of the curse. Verse 12, the Word of God reads to us on the following day. Again, this is after the triumphal entry. After Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. You ever seen something far away that looked really good? That's what he sees. He sees all these leaves. He went to see if he could find anything on it. But when he came to it, he found nothing. Nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And so the day again after his triumphal entry, his visit to the temple, he leaves Bethany, he heads back to the temple with his disciples. The text says he was hungry, he saw a fig tree and leaf, he saw a fig tree in bloom, and it's not quite the harvest season, but the leaves would indicate that there's presence of fruit. See, in the production of a fig tree, the, the fruit would come before the leaves. So if there's leaves, that means there's fruit. Right, that's how that works, how the process happened in this context that works especially in the fig tree. And so we see truly the tree is in bloom, but it's barren. It's in bloom, but it's barren. The evidence of the leaves gives expectation of fruit, but upon further inspection, the expectation is met with emptiness. It's kind of like that one time I went to Taco Bueno, they had a two-handed burrito, and guess what? I could eat it with one hand. All right, so the expectation was met with emptiness. It says nothing but leaves. False hope. The leaves promised production, but there was no presence of production. It looked good from far away, but when you got right up close to it, you realize you've been deceived into disappointment. And Jesus, as a result of the evidence of the emptiness of the fruit of this tree, he produces and he curses this tree for hypocrisy. Look in verse 14. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. I want you to see this. Jesus curses the external activity of the tree because of the absence of its internal reality. All right, he curses the external activity of the tree because of the absence of internal reality. What should have been there wasn't there, and when it proved to be false advertisement, Jesus judged the tree. All right, he judged the tree for pretending to be something that it wasn't. He judged the tree for proving to be not what it said it actually was. It said, look at me, I've got fruit. Come, come inspect, I'll have everything you ever want. If you're hungry, I'll give you something to eat. If you need nourishment, I've got your back. All right, the tree would kind of project upon itself all the illusion of fulfillment, but when you got up close, there was nothing there. It was a production without any kind of promise. All right, it was a show without any kind of substance, and Jesus judged the tree. And he's not overreacting. He's not doing this in spite. He's not just having unrighteous anger. He's giving us a very graphic illustration of the very next scene. And what's the very next scene going to show us with this tree and with this temple? A false profession. It's a false profession. What do you mean by false profession? Well, it's the sin of hypocrisy to claim to be one thing, but to actually be another. It's to claim to be one thing, 
but to actually be and live another. And here's what the evidence of fruit is going to do in your life. One way or the other, the evidence of fruit will do this. The evidence of fruit will either express your faith or expose that you're a fake. All right, whether there's fruit or not, the evidence of fruit is either going to express your faith that what you really believe is now showing up in behavior, it's really there, that, that what's on the outside is actually because of what happened on the inside, it's not the other way around, it's internal transformation, not behavior modification, and so if you've truly been changed by Jesus, you have fruit, it will be expressed in faith, but if you've not ever been changed by Jesus, if you've never had that internal transformation of the Holy Spirit, you've never surrendered your life fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will be exposed. And in this text, you will be judged. You will be judged. Because we see this hypocrisy is just a false profession of faith. And I want to challenge you in this church here today. You cannot afford a false profession of faith. I, I, I don't know. You, mean, you, you can fool me. That's fine. You're not going to answer to me, though. Or you can fool your family. That's great, whatever. But you're not going to answer to them either. You cannot fool God. I know we like to play the game. I know we like to pretend, hey, look at me, how great of a Christian I am. Hey, look how great I behave. Look at all my achievements. Look at all my gold stars. Man, I haven't missed a Sunday in five years. Whatever that we want to project the leaves on the outside. If there's no life on the inside, there's nothing but judgment for you. You cannot afford a false profession. And so if you are 99% sure that you're lost or that you're saved and you're going to heaven and you're not 100%, then you're going to miss it. And so I want to warn you, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, if you are not 100% certain that if you were to die tonight, you would spend eternity in heaven, just get it right, right now. There's an invitation in this, and we're going to see that invitation here in a moment because we cannot be guilty of proving ourselves to be useless or fruitless because in this context, we may be cursed forever. We may be judged forever, so be genuine of your experience of Christ or expose yourself to his curse. And we see that's the kind of the judgment, the warning that we have from this tree, because we go into the next scene, not only we have the caution of the curse, but we see the cleansing of corruption. All right, the cleansing of corruption. Here's how these things are going to be tied together. Let's look here in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and what did he do? He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And then he began to teach them. All right, after he got all their attention, as anyone would start paying attention to someone doing these things, he got their attention and began to teach them, saying, Is not it written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it. They were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they all went out of the city. All right, so here's our context. Remember, we're going into Jerusalem for what? Passover. All right, Passover week. That's, that's what's all building up to. Jesus is the Passover lamb. What is Passover? Why is Passover so important? Why are all these people in Jerusalem at the same time? You go back in the history of God's people, 
Remember, Egypt was in control of Israel. They enslaved Israel. And God sent a deliverer named Moses. Moses came and had a showdown with Pharaoh, let my people go, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And as they have the showdown, there's that 10th plague, the 10th plague of judgment, that if you don't, Pharaoh, there will be a judgment, and it will be this. Every firstborn of every household will die unless the house is covered in the blood of a lamb. And so Israel would sacrifice that night. They would take the lamb's blood, cover their doorpost, and the angel of God, the angel of death that passed through, he would pass over every home that was covered in the blood of the lamb, covered in the blood of a substitute. And so they would celebrate that every year by coming and remembering and sacrificing and celebrating God's mercy, God's grace, God's salvation, Jesus obviously is going to become the perfect fulfillment of that picture. It's all pointing to him anyways as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. But they come every year to celebrate God's salvation. And when Jesus shows up to the house of God, he finds in the house of God not worship. He finds sin. This is a scene that looks nothing like worship. And so don't miss what's happening here. Jesus sees a fig tree with all the evidence of fruit. It's got all the leaves. It's got every indication that fruit will be present. But when it got up close, there was no reality of fruit when there should have been fruit. Then he comes to the church house, and he sees all the evidence of worship. People are there. They've got their sacrifices. They're in the house of God. All the evidence will point there. But when he got up close, he found fake religion and false profession. And so just like the tree, the church was in bloom, but the church was barren had the evidence of expectation, but the expectation was met with emptiness. And so see, the church had all the right people doing all the right things in the right house, but they were all doing it in the wrong way. There was no presence of God, no power of God, no provision of God because they were all playing God. And this, of course, Jesus shows up and he's filled with righteous, holy anger, the only one who could be perfect in his own anger, and he turned the temple and the house of God into what it should have been because they turned it into a tree without fruit. It's counterfeit. It's convenient. And now he's going to come in there and start flipping tables. Understand, when we see it talks about the pigeons, talks about the money changers, talks about all the people with the different kinds of of things that they're doing in in this context here, what were they doing? All right, so you remember this. Jesus, when he's walking through town, he walks by Bartimaeus, and he says he's walking with a great crowd of people. People would journey to Jerusalem every year. Sometimes you would travel a mile. Sometimes you would travel 10. Sometimes you would travel 100. And if you're traveling by foot, sometimes that can be a taxing journey. And so when you have your own kids, that's hard enough, right? Any parents in the house traveling with four kids, it can be a journey enough. Sometimes you feel like leaving one behind. And so they're traveling with their families, And eventually, what you would also take to the Passover, you would take a lamb. You would take an oxen. You would bring the sacrifice. Well, over time, I guess people got tired of bringing the sacrifices because what the temple had set up is, hey, you can buy your sacrifice right here. You don't have to travel with the sacrifice. We got your back. We got you covered right here. And so the temple, the priests, the scribes, they would have everything set up. So here's what would happen. You could show up and you could buy your sacrifice right there on the spot. It didn't cost you very much. We would overcharge you, of course. But man, you're saving a ton of convenience by coming and buying it here at the temple. The second thing that they would do is they would do this. 
Say you brought your sacrifice from home, you brought your lamb, but they would be the chief inspectors of that sacrifice as well. And so you can see how this is going to work. All right, we look at your lamb. Hey, this kind of spot here is making it unblemished. That's not pleasing and acceptable to God. So your sacrifice is actually not able to be sacrificed. You're going to have to buy one here. And good news, we got one ready. It's going to cost you a little 25% extra, but we got you covered here today. That was the second way that they had that. Then here's the third way that they were doing all kinds of things to turn it into a den of thieves, as the Word of God says, is temple currency. You would have a temple tax to pay for, for the honor of God's people, but if you didn't bring the right currency, say you were from another country, another nation, you brought your native currency, they would exchange that currency, but of course they would make a profit that as well. And so here they are. They've got a one-stop shop to fleece all the people. It's a money-making machine, and they're taking advantage of the poor. They're money-changing they're selling sacrifices, and they've turned church into a one-stop convenience store. See it? It's crazy. It's not far off from even where we are sometimes today. And so we see this kind of false profession of capitalization, of extorting and exporting all kinds of convenient worship. And Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He cleans house. says this, he will not allow anyone to overturn, sorry, he would not allow anyone to carry anything to the temple. It says that in verse 16, but in verse 15, after he came to Jerusalem, he entered, began to drive out, all right, drive out those who sold, those who bought in the temple, all right, so you're seeing the bartering, the bargaining, and he overturned the tables of the money changes, those who were taking advantage uh, of the tax and, and the currency exchange, and the seat of those who sold pigeons, those who were, uh, you know, taking advantage of the poor, and he would not allow anyone to carry on their business anymore. Now, understand this, full of passion, full of purity for God's house, full of passion and purity for the name of God, his holy anger towards sin that he knows he's about to die for just days later. It says in the text, he makes a whip and he begins to drive everyone out. Now think about the temple. It's not like this building. The temple had multiple layers. You got the holy of holies, or then you had the temple court up there, and then it kept going down in layers where people could gather. And so if you think about the context of where we are, we are in this court of Gentiles, and what this would look like overall, the temple land itself is about 35 acres. And so they're gathering in a place with possibly hundreds of thousands of people at the same time. So think state fair. All right, that's where we are. And it says in the text, Jesus drives everyone out. Not just this room. All right, that would be impressive enough to move you all out in a very short period of time, but he begins to drive everyone out. People buying and selling moved out. All the animals moved out. Thousands, again, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And then they began to flip the tables, overturning, scattering their money, their profit everywhere. Every crook, every exploiter, every false priest fell under his authority. You got to think, how in the world does one man do all that? It's the perfect high priest exercising his perfect rightful authority over his very own house, and no one could stop him. Move over Samson, right? There's no one mightier than my Jesus. All right, he is a man of authority. He is a man of movement. And I want you to see this scene. All right, we got the tree, we got the temple. I want you to see two very important things of application right here in this text, all right? So we don't miss this. Number one, here's this. Jesus always drives us out so that he can draw us back in. All right, Jesus always drives us out so he can always draw us back 
in. Again, it says, he entered the temple, began to drive out, in verse 15, those who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He began to drive them out. In other words, he didn't leave them where they were as they were. Now, I call that mercy, right? Because it's the mercy of God that moves us. It's the mercy of God that doesn't allow us to stay as we are where we are. It's the mercy of God that says, move over here because I want to do something in your life. It's the mercy of God that drove the people of God in the Old Testament into the wilderness so that he could what? Bring them back into the promised land. All right, this is the pattern of God where he moves his people in a direction that they would never go so that he can bring them back to himself in repentance. And so I love that we see that Jesus always moves us back towards him. He doesn't move us just to move us. His judgment would be, well, they're just forsaken. Leave them there. No message, no teaching. He could have shown up in the temple and just left them there in their sin, and they would have died, lost, and gone to hell for all eternity. But he drives them out to always draw them back in. And church, that's the power of conviction. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are driven out of your sin, and so that Jesus can drive the sin out of you. Or he drives it out of you so he can draw you back to himself. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When we get convicted and we get cleansed and we, we get carried away in his righteousness and carried away in his mercy, what does that do for us? When we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and we confess our sin through that cleansing, here's what God does. He purifies us. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Right? He doesn't leave us in unforgiveness. He doesn't leave us in our brokenness. He doesn't leave us in our emptiness. He doesn't leave us as we are where we are. He cleanses us after he confronts us. And so if you've been confronted, if you know today man, God has awoken me to my sin, and I know that I'm walking in a way that's not pleasing to him, when you confess he is faithful and just to forgive. Amen. He drives us out to draw us back in. Here's the second thing. God's house. It is an all-inclusive invitation for all people. All right, God's house is an all-inclusive invitation for all people. He goes back and he says, and when he begins to teach them with all their attention now, after everyone's been driven out, he said to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? For all the nations, for all the nations. Now, from the very beginning, when God called Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, he makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you people. I'm going to make you, and you're going to belong to me. You're going to be mine. I'll make a covenant with you, and I'm going to be your God. All right, so he makes his promise with Abraham to turn him into something that only God could do. And he tells him what? Not only I'm going to bless you, but you're going to be a blessing to who? The whole world. So he tells Israel, you will be a blessing to the whole world. But over time, God's people, especially as you read it even in the New Testament, you go to the book of Acts, they don't ever go. They don't take it to the nations. They don't take it to the ends of the earth. We think, and they think in this time, you remember, they thought Jesus would come and deliver them from the nations. But he says, I'm not delivering you from the nations. I'm going to come make a way for the nations. He comes to make Room for more people to come in, not to exclude more people out. And so he says, hey, you've turned my house into a house that was never meant to be. 
you've made worship a thing that it was never created to be. You've turned church into your own idea versus the idea that I have it for me. And I want to challenge you to see this. One of two things. Number one, there is still room for you today. I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. I don't know where you are. But if you're someone far from God, he has made a way not from you, but for you. All right, he came to make a way for you. He died on the cross for your sin. He paid the price for your penalty. He paid the debt that you could never afford. And he says, come follow me. I came to seek and save the lost. And so the good news is this. If you feel like you could never be a person that could belong to a church, that could belong to Christ because of your past and your story and your image and all the, the drama that surrounds your life, he came to make room for you. So there's more room for you. There's room for one more. And then to the church, we must go and get one more because he called us to be a, a church that reaches the nations. It's a great commission plastered on our wall out there that we would go to the ends of the earth, teaching and baptizing and telling people all about how Jesus saves. So there's room for one more, and there's a calling for us to go and get one more. Isn't that good news today? It's good news right now that we can come in our confrontation, be cleansed, be changed, and never be left the same by Christ. Let's wrap this up as we think about the application as we take this home. I want you to see this point. Sin. Sin is not only worshiping a false god. That's absolutely sin. But it's also this, worshiping the true God falsely. Sin is not only worshiping a false god, but it's also worshiping the true God falsely. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it matters how you worship. It matters how you worship the living God. Because again, you look at church, all the right people in the right place, doing quote-unquote the right things. They're, they're sacrificing. They're honoring Passover. They're there. Hey, we're here for Passover. We've got sacrifices. We're doing all the right things, but they were doing all the right things in all the wrong ways. Their lips were there, but their lives were far from him. Right? Their hearts weren't there. They weren't worshiping in spirit and truth. They were worshiping in convenience. They were worshiping in consumerism. They were worshiping in a way that felt right and good to them. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. They had become customers of their own design of worship. And so I want to challenge you today. It is not enough for us to play church. It is not enough for us to check the box. It is not enough for us to show up and say, I'm in the right place and I'm doing the right thing. I'm just not doing it the right way. That will not produce life in you. It results in emptiness. It's nothing but leaves. There's no fruit, and it won't sustain, and it won't fulfill. And so I want to challenge you today. Make sure that your worship is pleasing to a holy God. That is true. It is righteous. You are worshiping God in the right way. And so do not find yourself guilty of just going through the motions. Guilty of just skating on by, just thinking, I've done enough to appease God today. He should be good with me. It matters how you worship. And the only worship that is acceptable to God is surrender and submission. Lord and Savior, honor him with your lips, but honor him more importantly with your lives. Because here's what I want you to see as we take this home. The worship team comes to lead us in our response today. <clears throat> Jesus curses a tree, but then he hangs on a tree, cursing our place. All right, Jesus in this text, he curses a tree, 
But then he goes and he hangs on a tree just a few days later, cursed in our place. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he took our curse from us so he could give his life to us, right? He took the sin from us so he could give salvation to us. He took away all of our unrighteousness from us so he could give his righteousness, right standing with God, to us. And the only way that we can have life is we worship, not at a temple, but you worship at the cross of Christ. My Savior, my God, my Lord, my Lamb, I come and give my life to you. Not just my lips, but my heart. My heart. It's the only right way to worship our King. Let's bow our heads and hearts this morning. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the Word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.